Welcome to the Trevor Turnbull Show, where you'll hear vulnerable, honest stories that will inspire you to embrace your mess and live your best life. Welcome to the show, everyone. In this episode, I'm talking with Jason Thompson. So Jason is somebody that was introduced to me by another guest that I had on, Ron Tite. And I'd never met Jason before we hopped on this interview, but of course, naturally, you know, Google exists for this reason. I hit the Google machine and I thought, who is Jason Thompson? And, you know, trust me, if you try and Google a name like Jason Thompson, you're not going to find this Jason Thompson. There's just so many Jason Thompsons in the world. But I also knew that he was an artist. He's a creative. He's somebody with a background in the advertising world. And he has... Uh, these amazing drawings that he does underneath the brand of The Art of Dad. And they're really these cartoons that were inspired based on his background of, you know, growing up at a time when you looked in the newspaper for those Sunday uh, cartoons that were in there. And, you know, he took the creativity side of him and just started pouring it into this. And uh, they're really amazing and insightful uh, cartoons. In some cases, they're just images with no words. Other times, it's just a couple of words. But the core of it is really uh, Jason's an incredible storyteller. And I know him and Ron went to university together, not for anything to do with creativity and, and advertising and that type of thing, but he made his way into this space. And, you know, we just had a great conversation, not only about what it's like to be uh, a dad in in today's uh, day and age, naturally, because of his, you know, his, uh, you know, excitement and what he does with the art of dad, but just also the importance of being able to be uh, resilient in your decision-making as you are trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. So, you know, Jason spoke about his background, you know, not only going through elementary school and into college and that type of thing, but then coming out and realizing that he has this passion for uh, the creative arts and then taking a trip to France and, and watching some international films and having this aha moment of like, why am I not doing more of this? And we spoke about like some of the fears that that we have as human beings sometimes of just taking these leaps and going down a path and a journey about something that we have no idea where to even start, but knowing that it always starts with that first step. So there's a lot of really great lessons here, I think, for anybody that's maybe in that state of like, you're not completely 100% passionate and loving what you're doing, but you got this thing on the side that you just really love. How do you move towards that? How do you take these steps towards that? So that was the good chunk of the conversation. Then of course, we talked about just the future of like NFTs and how that relates to the art world and how it relates to artists. And I'm not going to say that what we talked about was like earth-shattering, insightful, because quite frankly, we're both curious and still learning about this. But I think it might be something for anybody that heard me say that phrase, NFT, and you're thinking, well, what the heck is an NFT? You're going to want to watch this because you know, included in the show notes on this episode as well, I'm going to link up a few things that might start opening up some ideas for you, some possibilities of how this world is evolving, how quickly it's evolving, but how it really always comes back to the integrity of the individuals that are creating, the community that you can build, and the relationships that you build along the way. So a uh, really fun conversation. I think you're going to really enjoy this one. So let's go ahead and give it a listen. Jason Thompson, it's so nice to meet you for the first time and welcome to uh, the Trevor Turnbull Show. I'm looking forward to this chat. Thanks so much, Trevor. Sorry to interrupt you there. Looking forward to chatting with you as well. Yeah, real pleasure to uh, see the digital version of you and uh, looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, well, unfortunately, this isn't a live in-person interview uh, format quite yet, but at some points, definitely want to create the studio, but the world seems to have had different ideas for what we can and can't do nowadays, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. We're a Zoomy world right now, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely used to it. So just to give everybody context that's listening and watching here, so we've never met. This is the first time we literally have been talking for about six minutes before we hit record, but we were connected by a mutual contact in Ron Tite, which I just found out uh, is an old college university buddy of yours, Jason. And... 
he also introduced me to somebody else too, Zoe, who Zoe share, who I've already published that episode already too. And it was such a great conversation. And when you have a, a respect for somebody that says, you got to talk to this guy, you just do it, right? Because those usually lead to the best conversations. And I'm going to really enjoy this, this chat and getting to understand a little bit more about you aside from what just Google tells me, right? Because <laughs> you just never know what you're going to find when you Google your name. When was the last time you Googled your own name anyways? Oh. Good question. I don't know. It's been a while for sure. It, uh, Jason Thompson isn't that unique a name, so there's probably a whole bunch of different uh, people out there. So I'm not sure. Maybe I should do that after this conversation. Yeah, definitely. Always advise that to anybody listening. But of course, the little bit of context that Ron did give me is that um, you're a dad, you have this, you're an artist, you've got this... Um, you know, platform or you, you do stuff around the art of dad. So that was like what I started Googling. Cause you're right. You Google Jason Thompson and there's like probably 40,000 of you in the world. And, but you put the art of dad on there and you clearly see what you do, which is as a, an illustrator, an animator, an artist. And, you know, just again, what Google tells me is like just a really interesting background. And, you know, one of the themes just to kind of set the context for us here is, there's a quote that uh, Brene Brown said once in one of her books or documentaries or something where one day you will tell your story of how you overcame what you went through and it will become somebody else's survival guide. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard that one before, but that's kind of the context of why I'm doing this uh, podcast is really to just have great conversations with people that want to speak about whatever it is from their journey that's got them to here, which is usually never how they planned it, but it ends up being perfect. And as an artist and animator, somebody that's, you know, doing some pretty cool creative stuff, just interested to have that conversation with you. So why don't we start by having you just give a little introduction to everybody of like, who is Jason Thompson? What are you all about? <laughs> what am I all about? Well, I guess I would have to say if I had to sum it all up in one word, I think I'm all about storytelling. Mm. I I have worked professionally in storytelling, both on, as you have noted, the illustration, the animation, uh, film, TV, video game component. Uh, I now run a leadership and communications consulting uh, business that's rooted in storytelling and everything that I learned from the 25 years I had in the industry. And The Art of Dad is the story of being a parent. I mean, it's called The Art of Dad because I'm a dad, but... Uh, yeah. Certainly early on, all the comments and people that I usually heard from were women. I even had Posh Spice following me for a while, which I thought Ooh. was kind of neat. Yes, that's, way that's back pretty when. big time. Right? Yeah. That's big so for time. some people, some people might not even know who that is that are listening, but I get it. I yeah, get okay. it. That's pretty yeah. big. For those <laughs> listeners who do get it. That's, yeah, it's, it was kind of fun. So yeah, I would have to say it's really about the power of how stories really connect us at a human and an emotional level. So the work I do now in the leadership space is all based on story. How do you own your own story? How do you own your own leadership? How do you own your own sales? How do you own your own whatever it might be that's related in a, in a business standpoint? Uh, certainly working in the film and television industry and the video game industry, we're all about storytelling and taking the characters that we create on a journey so that our audience can go on a journey. And The Art of Dad really came out of me being a, a father for the second time. Um, so my daughter was probably three when I started, maybe just almost not quite three when I started actually doodling things. Yeah. And it became just an outlet for me on those kind of crazy moments, those really happy magical moments of being a dad and having young kids, those super frustrating and like upsetting moments of being a parent and, you know, being an artist, being someone who uh, really expresses myself visually, it was a natural extension to just start sketching these things out. And Trevor, what I found when I started bringing my sketchbook with me to swimming lessons or gymnastics or daycare pickup and, you know, I was waiting and I just do a little doodle, I had people sort of looking over my shoulder going, what, what's that? Yeah. And when they, you know, when I showed them, they, oh gosh, my kid did that or I remember that. And, and it was really just random people saying, you should share this. And I know this sounds crazy in 2021, but... I think the first post I had up was in 2000 and 
six or seven, I think. Oh, wow. So that was, you know, uh, maybe it's 2008. Anyways, um, you know, that was the blog, right? When blogs were sort of out and about. And I was shocked at how just sharing some stories, which were small illustrations, sometimes with a little blurb, sometimes not, really connected me with people globally. I mean, you know, people were writing from really across across the, the globe saying, oh, I feel like you have a camera in my living room. And yeah, my kid did something very similar. And, and I realized right there and then that we are all storytelling the lives of what we're living as parents. And uh, for me, it was about capturing those little moments and really appreciating them because now my, well, I've got one at university and the other in grade 11. And the time has gone by too fast, Trevor. So uh, I'll always have these little archives for myself and my kids uh, in the form of these drawings and stories to to, to share. Yeah, no, that's very cool. And I, I knew that just getting into a conversation, it was going to bring up a whole bunch of things that I think will naturally be able to go down. And, and it did, of course. So the first thing that comes to mind is Ron is actually, in the conversation that I had with him, very much a storyteller himself and the agency that he works for. And, you know, the the currency is essentially in his business is awareness, right? It's like attention, it's eyeballs, that type of thing. And naturally, storytelling is a huge component of that. And it's evolved over the years as well, too, right? There used to be a lot less distraction and just you know, things pulling at us. It used to be billboards back in the day. And then all of a sudden, social media became a thing. And then multiple social media platforms became a thing. And then all of a sudden, long-form content had to become short-form because people's attention spans were just so short. And the idea of uh, illustrating an idea or a concept, because I'm just looking at your your blog right now and and these cartoons that you that you draw and some of the stories that you tell, like... In some cases, they're literally like three words, but an image that tells the story, right? And there's obviously an art to that. I'm sure this is something that, you know, how did you hone this skill? Like, where did it come from early on? Did you go to school for this? Like, were you and Ron in in some type of a creative arts program or was it more of a business program? No, we Ron and I actually met at Queen's University, nothing related to <clears throat> the creative fields, if you like, Uh we, I think it just, you know, came to us naturally. Um, from my standpoint, I was just one of those kids who could always draw. You know, people can sing, people can read music. Not my thing, but the drawing thing just came naturally. Yeah. And uh, I didn't actually formally train for it until I was about 29. And hmm. that's when I became an animator after working in business for about seven years and saying, eh, I'm not so sure this is my thing. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, Went back to school at 29, uh, studied, also worked part-time, and basically really started to understand there how to create my own style, uh, how to compose, I think, you know, in in a more pleasing way to the eye. And I, you know, I always grew up loving Calvin and Hobbes, Far Side, Peanuts, you know, all those kind of great comic strips, for better or for worse. And there's a real art, as you said, to capturing an entire idea in one image. And so that's what I try and do. I try and capture something that happened either to me, my wife or my kids uh, in one image. And sometimes you need some words and sometimes you don't. So, uh, and for me, it was just a great way to express, I guess, myself and what it was like, as I said, the joys and pains of, of being a dad. So would you say that, uh, you were that kid in school that was drawing characters while the teacher was talking and just naturally kind of had a knack for doodling on the paper on the, on the side of the exam when you should have been answering the questions. Yeah. Very archetypally <laughs> that you get that artist thing. No, I wasn't that kid. Actually, I was, uh, I was really academically focused and had uh, designs, uh, pun intended, of becoming probably uh, a CEO of some sort of company and leading people in a whole bunch of different things. That was a big part of my passion when I was younger. Uh, but I, I drew for pleasure. It was one of those things that I realized later was one of the few activities that I could do where I just lost track of time. Mm. You know, I could sit down and draw and an hour would pass. And wow, where did that time go? So it's it's something inside me, but I really didn't recognize it as being something I could do to earn a living uh, until I was almost 30. So 
Uh, no, I wasn't quite that kid, but but I did always love to draw. It was for me just a, a nice release and a creative out, output, you know, whether it went anywhere or not. Uh, the Art of Dad has gone somewhere, but it it wasn't initially intended that way. Yeah, I think maybe that's one of the things I'd love to lean into with you here, and as well as another piece too, which is NFTs. I'm not sure how how much you're up to speed on all that stuff, but I'd love to have a chat about that. But before we get into that, though, the the whole idea of like going to university, getting a degree, wanting or at least, you know, saying that, like, I think the vision is like, I want to be a CEO and grow these global companies and whatever it was. Right. Was there a point in there where you had this creativity inside of you? You you loved this passion, as you said, and maybe held yourself back because of doubts over, like you said, right a moment ago, right? Like, how can I actually make money doing this thing that I actually love? Like, what was that journey like for you? Yeah, it's a good question. I I think I'd always uh, led different organizations like student government, student council things, camp directing, all that sort of stuff that came very naturally to me. And so art I always had as sort of a pleasure thing and not something I thought of more purposefully. And actually it was, this is going to sound a little odd, but when I was on my honeymoon, my wife and I uh, had quit our jobs and traveled around France for four months. Nice. And yeah, it was awesome. And we were in this funny little place. It was a town called Poitiers in France. And there's a theme park called Futurescope. So it's like a Disneyland, but not nearly as grandiose. And it's rooted in, well, at least it was back then, in in special effects and movies and entertainment. And I remember sitting in one of these uh, films that I was watching about the industry going, why am I not doing this? Mm. Now, it took me two more years after being in that place to actually action myself into going back to school as a mature student and figuring that whole game out. But it was this weird epiphany moment in a theater in Poitiers, France, where I thought, maybe I should be involved in the creative field. Hmm. Uh, So, yeah, you know, inspiration comes from different places, Trevor, right? But that was that was the moment. And I after that, I went into advertising uh, as a suit which our friend Ron also started off in and uh, realized after about a year and a quarter that no, this wasn't me either. And actually approached the president of the firm to say, you know, I'd like to work in the creative department because I spent a lot of time down there. And the the creative director was like, you should just work with us. And it was really interesting because the president at the time looked at me and said, suits don't become creative. Ah. And so I knew I've got no future here. So I quit started my journey in the animation game and have now been doing it for 25 years. Interesting. Yeah. There's, there's so many takeaways from that. And like, like I said, uh, at the start of this, like a, a major driver for me aligning with doing a podcast. Cause I, I had successfully, um, and then unsuccessfully started and completely burned out a, a podcast in the past where it was just not driven around the right vision. You know, it was very focused around like lead generation and stuff, just being in the world that I was in and I just didn't align with it. So therefore I just didn't put the time into it to make it work, you know? And when I decided to sit down with this one, it was one of the drivers is I've got three and four year old boys. And at some point I want them watching this because they, they want to, because it's inter- it's entertaining, hopefully, but also insightful as to how do you navigate this crazy world? Especially if you go down a path where it seems like you can't get out of it because you're just so far down it. You spend a bunch of money on a degree, you end up in the corporate world, you're wearing the suit and somebody tells you that like, well, you can't be that because this is the journey you're on. And to just literally say, okay, well, I'm, just not going to do that anymore, right? Because there's a lot of people that literally get frozen in that and they will not change because of the fear of the unknown. Or like you said, you know, going back as a, what you call it, a mature student, right? So like, I was very, like, I didn't, I played hockey. I was a hockey player until I was like 24 and realized I, my, my time to make it to the NHL kind of already passed. And then all of a sudden I was like four years older than everybody in my university classes. So it wasn't, extremely mature older, but it still felt different, right? Like I just had different values. I had different uh, day-to-days. I actually went to class instead of partying all night. Like I was like, I got to get out of this thing. Yeah. Big difference when you're older, right? When you go back to school, for sure. Totally. Yeah. And the other piece that comes up that you might want to riff on here too, is the 
I forget who I heard this from recently, but they said, you know, in the film business, for example, like in the movie business, if you want to be a producer, the first step is go get a business card that says producer on it and then be that. Even if you don't have a role, nobody's paying you for it. It's just literally a mindset of like, I'm a producer because I know I have friends that have gone down that road and some of them have just never followed through on it. And others have, have definitely taken the path and been successful, but like there's literally no clear path. Like it's whatever you make of it. What comes up for you when I say that out loud? Does it resonate at all with you? Oh, big time. That resonates big time with me, Trevor. Uh, I think so much of where I am today has come from the spirit of, yeah, I can do that. So when I, yeah, when I went back to, to school, studied animation and my first gig, I was an animator in stop motion. So most people know like uh, Wallace and Gromit or, you know, Aardman is that. So it was that kind of stuff uh, out of Toronto uh, doing productions for Disney and Warner Brothers and all kinds of big studios. Hmm. Great fun. Yeah. Uh, And when the first production I was on ended, I found out they needed storyboard artists for a new show. And so someone said, well, we're looking for a board artist. Do you know any? I was like, oh, I can do that. And I'd never done it professionally yet. But I'd done it as part of my, you know, training. And so got a test, passed the test, got my first board. I'm now a board artist, right? Found out designs need to be done. I can do that, you know? Uh, And I think it's really by, to your point, you write down on your business card, producer, CEO, you know, whatever it might be, rocket scientist. I mean, I think you have to have the belief in yourself and not be afraid to make a change or make mistakes as you figure out what it is that you want to do. And and part of it is, am I passionate about this? You know, do I get enjoyment out of this? And in the entertainment industry, film industry, if you only do one thing, then you're out of work when you that one thing isn't currently in production or you're traveling all over the world following where that one thing is. And when I was starting off my career in the film industry after being in business first, uh, I just bought a house. My wife and I were expecting our first kid. And so I needed to adapt. And so that really came from the, yeah, I can do that. And it just kept building and building. And then I developed a, you know, a much bigger skill set that always ensured that I was employed. Yeah. It's interesting because I, part of the interview series that I do, I'm just reaching for the book here right now is at the end of this interview, I will ask you a series of questions that are all kind of revolving around the one thing which is really just about um, focus, you know? It's like, get clear, be intentional, um, go do that thing, right? And this is the opposite of that, right? It's like, it's kind of like, no, go try a whole bunch of things and know that in that world, it's actually very much valued, right? It's like, it's kind of like, do you want to be a specialist in one area with like really core expertise or do you want to be a bit of a generalist? And there's always this differing of opinion as to which one is more valuable, but I think it's the lens that you look at it through as well, right? Like if you want to go down a certain path and you know you want to be a partner in a law firm, well, then, yeah, you probably stayed the narrow path and you you fight through the years of not being seen or heard. And then all of a sudden it pays off, right? But that's not the path for everybody, is it? Like some people don't want that. I know I never did. I just didn't necessarily always trust myself that I was making the right moves. Well, I think you nailed it right there. Trust in yourself, right? And also I... I'm not a huge fan of archetypes and stereotypes. I am when I'm creating characters so that, you know, we're, your audience can understand it. But for your, you know, for your life, I mean, artists get this stereotype of being very unsavvy when it comes to business, of not advocating for themselves, of not being able to market themselves, of of kind of being shy and quiet and, you know, not playing any sports. And that wasn't me at all. I'm noisy. I play tons of sports. I love leading people and I, you know, have a creative mind. So if anything, you know, I, I, I guess my advice to, to people should they ask is that never be afraid of trying something if it brings you joy. Mm. And that doesn't mean, you know, if you're a, a, a real estate lawyer, the only thing that brings you joy is real. Well, if it is terrific, but you know, if you have other passions, (laughs) you know, there's ways that you can express those. Right. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, from a job, it can be in what you're doing outside of your job, but in the film industry, it just so happens, or my experience was the more diverse your skill set, 
the longer you stayed employed, the more interesting projects you got involved in. Mm-hmm. So when I started writing for TV, you know, you you build up a whole nother set of skills that you may or may not have thought you were any good at, but you would never know unless you tried. Right. And, you know, I think, geez, you know, you said your kids are three and three and four. Yeah. Four. You know, and mine are 18 and almost 16. And I would give the same advice to both my kids and your kids. Like the world is moving more quickly and changing, you know, faster than ever before and not being afraid of change and not being afraid of trying something is I think one of the greatest gifts our kids mm. can have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I know I'm, consciously and I guess unconsciously aware sometimes of what things I'm bringing into fatherhood even too and uh and labels I'm putting on certain things mm-hmm. so like right now we live in West Kelowna which isn't too far from you you're in yeah. Canmore right so just over the mountains just mm-hmm. over the mountains like yeah. six, seven hour drive yeah. but you know I grew up in Saskatchewan and I played hockey from the age of well literally from the time I could walk until like I said when I finally realized at 24 that I didn't get drafted and And I chose not to go down and get my teeth punched in down in the Central Hockey League or some crazy thing in in the States. But I remember that time and just feeling like, man, it was fun, but it was so consuming. And then I look back on my parents and how consuming it was for them, too. They had to drive me around. And it was literally, again, one thing. That was it. That was all that mattered to me in my life was just hockey, right? And now as a dad... I find myself thinking, yeah, I don't want my kids to do that. So therefore, like, I'm not even putting them into it. And it's it's an interesting game in my head, right? There's kind of this, like, well, I don't want to project my values and my beliefs onto them. I want them to try all these things. But then there's certain things I don't want them to do. And it's a really interesting dynamic um, with kids as dads, right, is to not bring that forward to and let them kind of be themselves and explore and discover these different things on their own. Yeah, I think you you nailed it right at the end there. I think it's let them be themselves, right? Each <clears throat> each of my kids is is uh has parts of me, parts of my wife and then parts of probably everyone else that, you know, made us, right? So uh where where I try and parent from, the position I start from is what makes you happy? Do the stuff that makes you happy. And so we we enrolled in our kids in in everything, you know, like music and theater and art and sport. And what what was it that lit their fire? Uh, and then you pursue that further. Um, you know, sometimes when they're little, they, you know, they could say, no, not doing that. And then you get them into it. And they're like, oh, I actually really do like this. So you have to push them <laughs> yeah. a little bit sometimes. Yeah. But uh, but ultimately, I you know, I think if, if it becomes a struggle for you as a parent, it's probably a struggle for them and it's not good for either of you. So if one is able to, a breadth of experience so that they can find out the things they enjoy is a, a good way to, or at least I found is a good way to approach it. Yeah. Well, I think, wasn't it Wayne Gretzky or somebody, one of the the legends of hockey from, from our days being younger that said that, you know, don't just put your kids in one sport. They got to play baseball and they got to do swimming. They got to do. Well, and I think we're finding in sport, like one of my neighbors is uh, a uh, former Olympic gold medalist, and you know, she's all about kids doing a diverse set of activities and not focusing on that one thing until they get to be about 18 or 19. Mm. And then if that's their passion, go for it hard. But pigeonholing kids into one sport at such a young age, which we seem to be doing as a society, mm. yeah, um, is if, yeah, if you talk to the folks that have reached the top, they really believe that diversity was a strength in them being as good as what what they were yeah. uh, versus that's it and nothing else. Now, I know you read about some, you know, pros who are so focused and that's all they've ever done. And I think Cal Ripken, I remember that's an old name, but, you know, like he was that was his thing and that was it. And he was yeah. one of the best ever. So you have those outliers for sure. But, you know, generally speaking, most of us are, are you know, at a certain level. And all the things that we do, and um, and I think again comes back to, and you got to have some passion and joy in 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 whatever it is you're you're doing. Be, be that player, be that work. Yeah, yeah. It's funny how all these things are just full circle in these discussions I have. But have you ever do you know of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk? Do you know who Gary V is? Gary V. Name sounds familiar, but give me a bit of context. Okay, so he's uh, he's an entrepreneur. 
uh, based out in New York. He's built like an 800 person agency, but he started like, you know, as a kid that had four lemonade stands where he mm. put his, his six-year-old friends on the stands. And then he drove around and looked to see where people's eyes were going as they drove in their cars. So he knew where to put his stand. Like he's just literally like this obsessive uh, entrepreneur, right? Yeah. And this agency that he runs now, amongst other businesses, one of them is a uh, sports agency. And then he's massively uh, bullish on NFTs. And he's he's literally known as as somebody that's, you know, kind of predicting what's going to happen. And he's obsessively curious about um, attention, right? So where is the attention? That's And being ahead of the game on these things. So where this all ties together is, is uh, I just saw a video he did recently talking with, because he does a lot of work with athletes, professional athletes, a lot of guys in the NFL, and talks to them about the diversity of like exploring different things. So like he says, like there's a very small percentage of athletes that are just like so good at their sport that they just naturally end up in the pros and they make money in their Hall of Famer. Like most of them don't even make it. You know, and I actually used to do a lot of speaking. I worked with the Canadian Olympic program and a lot of athletes and stuff too. And it was that analogy of like uh, 99% of athletes will go on to be something other than a professional athlete. And even the ones that are professional athletes, by the time they're 24, if you're in the NFL, sometimes you're retired because you're literally <laughs> like you're done, you know? So you have to be uh, willing to explore these things and also be willing to reinvent yourself so it just kind of ties back to the the things that we were just saying there on on all levels. Like it doesn't matter if you're a superstar athlete, like still explore these new things, explore these things, you know, pick up that instrument, uh, figure out business and be willing to start from zero and know that you're going to stumble your way through it. But that's, that's the journey for all of this stuff. So anyways, I digress on that. The NFT stuff though, I, I wanted to see how much um, you're paying attention to this and how much it is impacting your um, approach to what you do as an artist too. Because again, Gary Vaynerchuk, again, he actually has created, and this is where I'll link this up for you. I'll send it to you. Cool. He was a doodler as a kid too. Like he was very much um, somebody that was like always drawing characters and that type of thing. And uh, most recently he actually created his own, and I'm, I'm going to butcher the terminology here, but created his own NFT, his non-tangible uh, non-fungible token or non-fungible token right and he brought these characters that he had as a kid to life so it was like um passionate panda and like insightful iguana and whatever it's the like and they're like his version ones that are like he's not an artist by any means he even self-proclaims he's like i just like it i'm just not very good at it but he's selling these um tokens to people at the early stages of this idea. And then the grand vision is that like, it will become Disney at some point in the future. It will evolve into entertainment and movies and books hmm. and cartoons and, and characters and stuffed animals and all of these things. Right. And like the first time I started to explore this stuff, I was like, all right, this is craziest way over my head. I don't even know what's going on. But then you start seeing it more and more and you're like, wow, this is really accelerating fast. And for the artist out there, what an incredible thing it is. And I'm still just curious about it. That's why I'm interested to know what, what you know about it. Yeah, it's a fascinating part of art right now. I, I wouldn't profess to know a lot about it. It's uh, it, you know, I mean, it's digital art, right? So anyone who likes to work with real, you know, analog materials, paint and brushes and canvas and whatnot, uh, I don't think there's a, a tremendous amount of space for them in there, but I might be wrong. But it's it's a, one of those things, again, it's like, why does something sell for a million dollars and something else doesn't? And mm -hmm. art is always, you know, in the eye of the beholder. So I, I can't explain why there are some students out there, you know, who have entered the space and now would never have to work again but before they're 24 um, because they capitalize on the NFT momentum and others that have been slogging away and can't make five bucks. So yeah. I, I think it's the, the Wild West out there in terms of how you actually connect. But you know, bottom line, there's there's got to be a connection of some kind. Your art has to speak to someone on some level. And if 
if I knew the secret sauce for that, then, you know, I, that's all I would do, but it also has to be very authentic. So, you know, for me, the, the black and white and sometimes the watercolor sketches that I do are really me. And, you know, would that work in an NFT space? I don't know. It's a great question. It's something you've now, you know, you've piqued my curiosity on that. Um, (laughs) But I mean, you're seeing like athletes, you know, I think like Kyle Lowry just launched, you know, some NFTs and can't remember who else. So I, my concern is that it quickly becomes something that only those who have a huge following are able to capitalize on versus something that is rewarding, unique, creative, independent thought. So we'll see where the movement goes. Yeah, there's so much to unpack there. And like I say, I'm I'm not going to try and explain it all on this uh, podcast, but this is something that I'm curious about exploring further. And I know one of the things that always resonated for me is that anybody that is an artist and maybe falls under the label of what you were saying before, which is like, well, the label is the artist is just that person that doesn't care if they actually make any money because it's about the art. But that's not all artists. Like there's actually a lot of people that are amazing leaders and community builders and and good business people too that also just happen to be very creative. And what it does uh, from, again, my understanding is it, there's an element, of course, of the blockchain here where if you simply put... If somebody has art that can be digitized and people can purchase this art and then it resells in the future, a analog version of a painting, you get paid for selling that painting, right? And if you get a million dollars, great. You're an, like, you are a highly sought after artist, right? There's probably very few people in the world that are selling million dollar paintings. But the idea of selling something that is digital, that when you are essentially attached to that and then it resells in the future and resells in the future, you're always getting a piece of that because you're actually a part of the creation of it. And that was one of the first pieces that I started going like, oh, I get that. I get it. And it goes as simple as like games and stuff too. So like, um, you know, a lot of people that are uh, addicted or like obsessively uh, into video games, you'll pay for, you know, it's a kid going to their dad saying, or mom or dad saying, hey, can I have a credit card? I need to buy this skin for my my character on this game. It's five. It's only $5, dad, you know? Yeah. And that kind of thing too. You can actually buy these skins and then you own it and then you can resell it in the future. But the person that created the skin can actually get paid in perpetuity based on the resell of that. Like all this stuff is just like, it just blows my mind. I'm like, Oh my God. Like, um, so as an artist, it's just so, it's just incredible that the opportunities there, but it does come back to, and this is where I think you, you'll want to maybe go check out what Gary V is talking about because the person behind the art is a huge part of it. It's not just the art, right. And what they stand for. And, and the art itself, of course, too. But it's really about the individual, the character, the authenticity, and then the community that gets built around it. That's ultimately what drives the impact, I guess you would say. Yeah, well, I, I like that you say that because I think, you know, so much of what the art is about is the person who is creating it. And, absolutely, you know, today we've got more opportunities to broadcast, to share our stories than we ever have before. And if you've got a compelling one that can build an audience, then I think that's really exciting. Well, I'll be sure to flow you some info on that because anytime I come across somebody that's as creative and, uh, you know, just doing cool things and especially related to the world dad here too, uh, let me me flow some things to you and open some possibilities here. You never know where it'll go. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, so I've got a round of questions for you to to wrap us up here. I call it the the power of one um, lightning round. Even though you don't need to answer in like one word answers, feel okay. free to just All right. answer whatever you want. Ready. Yeah. All right. So first question that I got for you is: Who is one person or mentor that has been the most influential in your life all time? So you can go back to childhood, your parents, whatever comes up for you. Gee, uh, I mean. Okay, I'll, I'll, you said one person, but certainly um, we're my flexible. Dad, we're, we're flexible. Okay, so my dad, as a photographer, always encouraged my art, which was a really nice kind of position to be in because you get all these stories of parents saying you'll never be an artist, you know. Whereas my dad was like, "Yeah, you could," you know, and it mm-hmm. it was more me driving the change away from that than someone else. But there's there's also a teacher I had in grade seven 
His name was Mr. Cook from Humber Valley Village in, in Etobicoke, Ontario. I don't even know if Mr. Cook is still with us. Mm. But he did this great exercise. He was an English teacher that really ignited my passion for speaking and talking to people and performing. And it was just a little exercise he had us do in class sometimes where he'd make up a word, ask you to go up to the front of the class. He'd share that word with you. And so it would be like things like pedal poops and why they matter. And you had to on the spot, think about what a pedal poop was and why does that matter and just share. And it was a very spontaneous, improvisational, comedic, if you went that route, storytelling process that I didn't realize how powerfully it actually affected where I went with my life until about three or four years ago. So uh, his mentorship was small in, in uh, timeline, but, but large in impact. I love stories like that because it's, uh, you know, for myself going through university, I was on the six-year program because, like I said, I was still a hockey player for the first two and not really taking it seriously. But, like, the one class I remember is entrepreneurship class. Like, that was literally what it was called, you know, and it was the curriculum was come up with an idea, market it, and sell it. Like, that was it. But it's the one I remember the most because it was just free-flowing and creative, right? And for some people, it was probably not fun. You know, they were more into the accounting and the finance, but it's a great example of how teachers can have such a huge impact, even at a very young age, right? Just encouraging that creativity. Perfect. All right, we'll take those two answers. Thanks. Um, Thanks, Trevor. All right, so next question is, what? Uh, who is the one person or mentor that you would say is the most influential in your life at this moment, so right now? Who? You know, this is an interesting answer, perhaps, but I'd say, again, because clearly I'm contrarian, there are two, and it's my kids, because I think navigating the world today is much more complicated than it was when I was their age, and having a foundation of stability and trust with your parents and certainly with dads especially for our sons, but also our daughters, but being, you know, showing, demonstrating how to be a good man today Mm. with everything that is going on, I think is, is really important. And so they are mentoring me in a way that is ensuring I'm staying true to them. Mm. How about that for an, that's a good answer. In fact, in fact, in my research of you before we hopped on here, I found an interview you did with uh, Front Row Dads. Oh, sure. Yeah, John. Yeah, which I wasn't even familiar with, so I had to go dive in and stuff. And a lot of it is that. It's like literally a community of dads that are like committed to being the greatest versions of themselves and being the example, not telling our kids what to do, but showing them and, uh-huh. you know, relationships and marriage and everything else. Yeah. And I'm a part of... Uh, a group on Monday, These uh, there's two individuals, uh, Di Emanuel and Nick Wood, that created this group called Mentorship Mondays. Um, it's evolving from just being Mondays, but it's a very similar thing, right? It's just literally um, creating a space for dads to come together and not even just dads, just men in general to make sure that we're being the example, not just saying what is right and wrong in this world, you know? So, um yeah, so I'm going to go check out that interview and I'll make sure I link it up too because your bio on there was very interesting. Like some of the things that we haven't even got into, I'm sure you might have talked about on on that interview. So yep. I'll make sure to link that up for people. All right, next question. What is one philanthropic cause that means the most to you and why? Well, I suppose right now it it is probably uh, breast cancer. and. Uh, that's for a few reasons. Um, one of my closest friends uh, passed away three years ago because of a whole bout of cancer, uh, but started with breast cancer. Lost my mom, uh, not to that can not to breast cancer, but to a cancer. My sister went through it, and about seven years ago, I worked or no, probably more, probably nine years ago. Uh, I worked with a friend in um, the community that I lived in in Toronto who had breast cancer, and we created a book 
um, called The Kid's Guide to Mummy's Breast Cancer. And really, yeah. did you see that? Yeah, really neat yeah. project where we we went into one of the hospitals in Toronto that is world-renowned for the work that they do in cancer. And we took photos of um, equipment and IVs and chemotherapy. And then I created a whole world of characters and a you know, kid and their and their mom. And, and we told a story about what a really scary thing is all about. And so it's still a cause I, I donate to today. And uh, I mean, there's lots of different pieces to cancer out there, but uh, that one is rooted for me personally on a few, few levels. Mm. Yeah. It's a great example of taking your, your natural skills and your passions and stuff and applying it to another way to give back, you know? So it comes back to that storytelling we talked about right at the beginning, right? You know, I really believe we, we are living stories every day. We all are storytellers at heart and it's how do we shape a story to make a difference to beget action, whatever it is that, uh, you know, we want to use that story for. Yeah. Love that answer. Next question. What is one thing you are most grateful for right now? Right now? Uh, I think the health of my family. Uh, you know, we're, we're still living in one of the craziest times in human history, right? And uh, I've been really grateful that my family has been healthy, that I live in Canmore and we're able to stay healthy by getting outside. I, I live in the mountains. I, you know, it's, I, I feel grateful for the space that I have and the fact that I can, I can look after myself. My family can look after themselves and, and my family in, in Toronto and other places in the world are all, all healthy at the moment. So yeah, health. Perfect. What is one thing you are most curious about right now and looking to explore, discover more about? Well, now that you've talked about NFTs, I'm thinking about, (laughs) geez, is there really an opportunity and a space for the kind of work that I do in there? Because a lot of what I saw was some really heavy 3D inspired digital shiny kind of stuff. And my work is as far away as possible from that. It's much more hand-drawn and, and raw. So, um, I would have to say you've really piqued my curiosity on that, Trevor. So that's a, that's an immediate answer to, uh, to a good question. Perfect. Whatever comes up first is usually the right answer (laughs) and the right step to take and everything in between. Right. Uh, last question for you. What is the one thing that scares you right now that you know you need to meet with bravery? Hmm. Uh, letting go of my kids. Mm. So my daughter is at university. Uh, she is in Kingston, which is a long way away from Canmore. And um, dad's alma mater. Yes. Yes. That's right. That's right. Uh, but this whole idea, Trevor, as we loop it back to, to the dad thing, as parents, I think, Part of our responsibility is to nurture and grow confident, independent, honest, courageous people. And when we do and they leave, you're like, wait a minute, I'm not ready. (laughs) So her being gone has hit me a lot harder than than I thought. Mm. And um, I know that she's now embarking on her own story that's independent of her story with me in it. And um, I think I, as I prepare myself for my second to follow that same route, I have to have that kind of courage and bravery uh, to say, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be. And my relationship will change. But the strength that, you know, we've built in the 17 and a half years we had together or 18 years we had together uh, will will be enough, you know, to last us and to um, and, and to have rich and wonderful experiences for the rest of my life. All perfect answers. There's no <laughs> right or wrong way to answer all these questions. And you know, the theme, the other kind of underlying theme of what I'm doing here are tied into those last three questions, which is to be grateful, be curious, and be brave. There, there are three things that I want my kids watching this in the future and just like being that, you know, and sharing these stories, hearing from people that, uh, you know, like you're, 
you're what, 14 years ahead of me on the dad game right now. So if I don't learn from people that have gone through it and, and be able to reflect and be grateful, like my three and four-year-olds, I'm sure you can remember the three and four-year-old versions of your kids. Like there's days where you're like, man, these kids are cute and so much fun. And then there's days where you're like, my Lord, go to sleep. <laughs> you know? And it just be grateful for every moment of it and know that like something else is coming around the corner and you're going to look back and are you going to be constantly looking to the future, not present in the moments. And there's just a lot to be said for that. So the more conversations I have like this, it's just a reminder for me and hopefully people listening in will, will feel that as well. So yeah, I just want to acknowledge you for having this chat with me. Obviously, anytime you come into a podcast and you're like, I don't really know what we're going to talk about, but let's see where this goes. You don't, you don't know what you're going to get, but um, really enjoyed chatting with you and as well as sharing what you're doing with the world as well, like your art and uh, also sharing what I'm learning about NFTs too, because I, I really do uh, see a lot of potential in that for you. I, I just don't even know what yet or why or how, but I'm going to go down that rabbit hole and I'll, I'll be sure to be somebody that can champion um, your learning curve, hopefully. Well, that would be awesome. And I promise, yeah, if I uh, become a multimillionaire from my NFTs with your, uh, with your nudge, I'll there send you, you a box of really fancy cookies, this thing. <laughs> well, if I understand it correctly, this interview put into the world will actually be the proof that I might have introduced it to you. And you won't even have to do that because naturally it'll be attributed back to me and my influence anyways. So exactly. at least this is what I understand in this hologram world that we're moving into here. So. <laughs> you're right, you're right. So where can people find out more about you? Where, where can people find your art, learn more about you, connect with you as well? Yeah, thanks for for asking that. I mean, if they're interested in the Art of Dad stuff uh, on Instagram, it's Art of Dad. Uh, it's the Art of Dad online or dot com, uh, and then uh, probably just what I'm doing from a story and our perspective. Uh, relaunching a website soon, but uh, JasonThompson.ca. Nice. I'll be sure to link that up so that people can uh, track you down. So yeah, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. And I, I look forward to future conversations where we can maybe do the little update on where you're at with the whole NFT project. <laughs> and I can find out where you're at with the stage of your kids. Having, uh, having lived that already, I'll share whatever nuggets of wisdom I can. Absolutely. I'm a sponge. I'll take all the advice that I can get. So awesome. All right. Cheers. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for your time, Trevor. I appreciate, uh, appreciate all your great questions. Right on. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Trevor Turnbull Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please consider subscribing on my YouTube channel and on your favorite podcast platform and leave me a review. I'd love to hear from you. Now, until next time, remember, today is a beautiful day of opportunity. Trust that you're exactly where you're supposed to be right now. So be grateful, be curious, and be brave. 